Hi, and welcome to Ear Tours American History. This podcast is to tell stories of American history as told by Doug McCormick, a tour guide and history enthusiast and co-hosted by his daughter, Brianna McCormick, who doesn't remember dates and facts about anything despite being told several times. We hope you enjoy these stories. Let us know if you have any feedback. Thank you for listening. All right, Dad, what are we talking about today? Okay, we're going to talk about the Louisiana Purchase, but we're also specifically going to talk about the tie to the Haitian Revolution and uh, France and what happened to cause France to want to give up such a large area of land to the United States for uh, not a whole lot of money. Um, So anyway, that's what we'll talk about today. Okay, Um, there is a direct tie actually between the Louisiana Purchase and the Haitian Revolution. Uh, Some quick background uh, to start out on the uh, Louisiana Purchase. Uh, We got huge chunk of land in the middle part of the United States. Uh, Thousands and thousands of acres for uh, not a whole lot of money. We got that from France. and one of probably the greatest deals in certainly U.S. history and maybe even in world history and was very important in making the United States. What did the U.S. have at that point? What, what was there? And what year was this? Well, it was in uh, 1803. And essentially, Uh, If you take the state of Louisiana and then go up along the Mississippi and west of the Mississippi. um, Interesting you bring that up actually because the purchase, the exact definition of the purchase uh, was kind of foggy. uh, And we'll see later on that the French uh, representatives when asked exactly what it comprised essentially had to kind of punt and say, well, uh, you guys have an idea of what it really encompasses, uh, so over to you. So they didn't really know what they were selling. Well, they, it w- was it defined, it was, I would say it was defined, but precisely defined, no, because uh, later on, some of the expeditions, in fact, uh, the expedition of Zebulon Pike um, later on, uh, to what's now the American Southwest, he actually went into uh, uh, what is what was really Spanish territory uh, um, below the Arkansas River. Um, so, bottom line is, it was was it loosely defined? Yes. Uh, was it precisely defined? No. Uh, the French representative Talleyrand actually. Uh, admitted as such. But anyway, we'll, we'll finish up by talking about uh, the exact uh, comments by Talleyrand and uh, what happened. But I want to start out with um, Haiti and the, the Haitian Revolution. Okay. Uh, I'm going to refer to it through our talk today as Haiti. That's what everybody knows it as. But 
back in the uh, era, it was actually called uh, San Dominga. Huh. Um, so when you look at the history books, that's that's what it's referred to as. But we we know it today as Haiti. So I'm gonna to prevent confusion, I'm gonna refer to it as Haiti as we go through. And it's still called the Haitian Revolution. It is called the Haitian Re Revolution. Okay. Um, so what was happening there? Okay, well, first of all, way back in uh, Christopher Columbus, Columbus era, 1492, uh, in the Caribbean, um, the Spanish eventually come over and, and Columbus, but then the, the Spanish come into what is now Haiti, uh, and there was a Native American population there. Okay. Uh, the Spanish, as unfortunately they did quite a bit, uh, everywhere they went, everywhere they went essentially, uh, did not treat the Native Americans well. Uh, in fact, uh, to the point where the Native population uh, was reduced from about a half a million on the island to 60,000 in 15 years. Now, is this due to like disease too or was this mainly just because they were well, terrible disease and mistreatment is oh, the short answer answer to that okay um wow yeah so the native american population had uh what is that four four hundred and loses four hundred and forty thousand just in 15 years Jeez. um and it might even have been more i it says it was at least at half a million and might have been a million hmm. uh, Native Americans. So now it goes down to 60,000 in 15 years. Uh, so to get labor uh, to replace that, in 1517, uh, slaves start to be imported from Africa. Okay. Um, and then uh, there's a small island called Tortuga just uh, not far from what's now Haiti. Anyway, there was French, British, and Spanish competition there for quite a while, uh, almost 30 years. But in 1659, the, the French prevailed, actually the French buccaneers, but... Uh, on Tortuga or on Haiti? On Tortuga. Uh, so they, they uh, moved there from uh, uh, Tortuga to Haiti and in 1695 there was a treaty called the Treaty of Ryswick between France and Spain that gives France legal right to the western part of the island. You might remember the total island is called, was called Hispaniola mm. and the eastern side of the island is what we know as the Dominican Republic today. But anyway, oh, okay. so anyway it was started the, the uh, Native American population reduced uh, terribly by the Spanish, but then a French, eventually by this treaty of six, by 1695, the French uh, have legal right to the western part, so what, it, so what we call now Haiti. So now it's France. Um, and as time goes along, uh, more and more slaves are brought in uh, from Africa. Uh, sugar, sugar plantations are the big thing. There's cotton, indigo, uh, coffee introduced in 1734. Uh, sugar plantations were awful to work on. 
Uh, it was labor intensive. Uh, they would work three, three weeks a month uh, from 16 to 18 hours a day, the slaves, yeah. and then uh, that went on for seven or eight months oh, a year. And this and is both by the Spanish and the French. By this time, it's by this time it's the French. Okay. Okay. So after 1695, it's France. Gotcha. Okay. And but as the 1700s go on, like I said, there was a, uh, a sugar, but then coffee shows up in about 1734. So you can think of the 1700s as France uh, exploiting what is now Haiti. Um, slavery there to exploit it now did they enslave the native population as well as import by then slaves? the native population was basically done done okay it was there were there were some there were slaves brought in each year the slaves were terribly treated many many of them died the a lot of the slave owners didn't care because they kept bringing slaves in from Africa. Okay. Uh, one of the, this whole story of Haiti is one of the more depressing stories yeah, it in, sounds awful. in history. The the violence and the uh, you know just the treatment of the slaves and what happened. When you read it, it's uh, it's just pretty terrible. Um, Let's so, skip that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it leads to eventually tying into what happens in the United States, and that's the whole reason kind of for our talk here. Hmm. Um, so eventually the, they're, are being, uh, the slaves are being treated so badly that uh, there's a group called the Maroons. Mm -hmm. They uh, evade and form bands of free men so they're blacks that uh, are former slaves. Uh, in 1720, there are a thousand of them uh, up in the mountains. How did they get the name Maroons? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. But they've... But essentially now they've been treated so badly that some of them are have broken off and are... are uh, joining up. Yeah, they're joining up in the mountains. By 1751, there are three, about 3,000 of them. Uh, and the, one of the quotes, and by the way, uh, one of the primary sources I've used for this is a book that's kind of dated, but still uh, a great source. It's called The Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James. And it's uh, titled Toussaint L'Ouverture and the San, or the, and the Haitian Revolution. I mean, they, called it the San Domingo Revolution, but hmm. um, so that's a primary source. So if you listen to this and you want to get uh, much more detail, I highly recommend looking up that book, uh, The Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James. Okay. Uh, one of the quotes from that book is, uh, for a hundred years prior to 1789, uh, these essentially rebels up in the mountains are a source of danger to the colonies. The white uh, uh, colony uh, plantation owners are constantly fearing uh, this, this group now as time goes along. Hmm. Uh, there's even a guy, just one guy in the hundred years though, prior to 1789, tries to organize a rebellion 
It's the only organized attempt in the 100 years prior to the French Revolution. Hmm. So now let's back up a little bit. You have a very... Um, in fact, let me uh, quote real quickly here from uh, James' book, The, the Black Jacobins. It says, in, in uh, 1789, the French West Colony of Haiti, what we call Haiti, supplied two-thirds of the overseas trade of France and was the greatest individual market for the European slave trade. It was an integral part of the economic life of the age, the greatest colony in the world, the pride of France, and the en envy of ev every other imperialistic nation. And the whole structure rest, rested on the labor of half a million slaves. So France is looking at this as like a cash cow. Exactly. I mean, it is like That's a very the important money maker. Point. It's a money maker. It's a big money maker. Hmm. Okay. Um, so they want to get rid of these rebels. Yeah. And what happens, as happened in the United States, believe it or not, the colonists over in Haiti that are running things mm -hmm. don't get along with the people back in France. The motherland. Yeah, the motherland uh, dictating to them what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. Hmm. In particular, in terms of slavery, if you were actually in France, there was no slavery in France. Mm -mm. Uh, but there was over in the colonies. Hmm. Uh, you might remember that uh, Thomas Jefferson, when he was minister to France, um, when Sally Hemings came over there, and they must have come to an agreement uh, because she could have stayed in France and become free. When she went back with him to the United States, she went back into slavery. Hmm. And just remind so, people who Sally Hemings is again. Yeah, Sally Hemings was... Uh, the woman that Jefferson uh, ultimately had children with. Well, we're all, most everybody's real sure uh, after Jefferson's wife died, uh, he fathered several children. In fact, since you bring that up, that's going to be our next talk uh, will be on Jefferson and uh, Sally Hemings, and in particular the uh, Hemings children, uh, but all, all children, but uh, we'll talk about the Hemings children. So. Um, but so, she, she was a slave. Uh, Jefferson made the deal that uh, he would free her children. So that's another reason why a lot of people think that he, he was, in fact, the father of her children because he eventually freed them all. And that was, that was the only slaves that he ever freed. Interesting. So, so France didn't have any slaves, but they... Not, not in France. Not in France, but in the colonies. Yes. And so you're, what you mentioned earlier is a key point because the cash cow, this was an amazing cash cow for uh, France. Mm -hmm. uh, by the start of the Revo uh, French Revolution in 1789, France, and I'm going to quote some uh, data here from James' book. It says, uh, France exported to the islands in the Caribbean, so basically mainly Haiti, $78 million. And that was in then, what's $78 million today, uh, or then, would be a huge number today. But they exported to Haiti uh, flour, salted meats, wines, etc. 
the so Haiti back to France 218 million again then dollars so it'd be much much more today but what came to France was sugar coffee cocoa wood indigo and hides but only 71 million of that 218 million was consumed in France the rest was exported after preparation hmm. so in other words raw a lot of the raw material comes into France they prepare it and then they send it out elsewhere um, and really Haiti was like looked at double profit yeah Haiti was looked at as the the quote market of the world unquote Interesting. <laughs> uh, so as the time goes along in the 1700s to keep that cash cow going more and more slaves are imported okay so now let's back up uh, and and look overall at what's going on in France uh, as time goes along, of course, the French monarchy, uh, the American Revolution comes along. Uh, the French, because they are ironically uh, support American and the creation of the American Republic and the American Revolution, even though they were a monarchy, they, re they did that because they hated the British so much, essentially. We... Uh, you might remember at the Battle of Yorktown, the final battle of the American Revolution, a significant American victory, half of the forces at the Battle of Yorktown were French. Huh. The French fleet was there. So France expends huge amounts of money uh, helping the Americans in the American Revolution. Well, that, that, I won't say bankrupts, but close to bankrupts the monarchy. Uh, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot. Of, you could spend hours and hours on the French Revolution. But essentially, by 1789, uh, the French are not happy with the monarchy. It's Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. Oh, um, yes. That crazy lady. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the French Revolution comes along, and I'm very much simplifying here, but essentially they get rid of the monarchy uh, and establish, uh, they, they tried to establish a republic. The Jefferson, by the way, actually is supporting, is supportive of initially of the French Revolution. But uh, if you know anything about the French Revolution, it goes off the rails. Uh, and uh, now people are being guillotined. And uh, um, what started out as... Uh, a transition from the monarchy to have people involved in their government goes off the rails. Um, but the term that's used is liberty, equality, and fraternity. Mm -hmm. Well, the colonies, and in particular, the slaves over in the colony, look at that and go, hey, uh, you say everybody, and, it, and there was back and forth. Again, I'm simplifying here, but... Uh, essentially, a lot of the colonists over in Haiti uh, and this, the white colonists were not in favor of granting freedom to slaves, but uh, the slaves and the, uh, uh, they called them mulattoes, the, the, uh, where they would have white fathers or mothers and uh, black. Mixed. Yeah, the mixed race. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there was even uh, within the colony those that were supportive of the 
the principles of the American or the French Revolution, but then there were, the people that were running things were like, "Don't even think about it. We want to keep this cash cow going. We want to keep our plantations." There were even some back in France because of the cash cow. Mm-hmm. They wanted to maintain slavery, so there was a big friction uh, in the French Republic. Uh, and anyway, so again, you could spend hours and hours just on the French Revolution, but what eventually ends up, the, the revolution goes off the rails, and guess who comes in to, to take over? Hmm. Napoleon Bonaparte. Okay. Um, so Napoleon, uh, he wants to reestablish the cash cow. Um, so did did the cash cow go off the rails during this? Well, time, okay, so did... so now we have 1789, and the slaves ha- in Haiti have risen up. There's uh, a couple of leaders. This One is was, the rebel group. Yeah, this is the, the rebel group. These are the slaves now. Uh, that have revolted. Uh, they're supportive of, you know, republic. The what France is telling them that they're going to do: liberty, equality, and fraternity. But bottom line is, it is a an in the 1790s, basically from 1790 through 1799, it's a bloody revolution. Okay. The slaves are uprising. They are surprisingly effective. There's uh, one of the leaders, Jean Francois, and then George Georges uh, Biasu, and I apologize if I'm not pronouncing those just right, but they were leaders. But a leader emerges, uh, the slave leader named Toussaint Louverture. Uh, he is one of the most dynamic and successful revolutionary leaders probably in world history. Interesting. Um, and he's um, leading the Maroons at this point. Well, actually, there was some friction, uh, but yes, uh, there were um, some of the mulattoes and the slaves actually didn't get along. But the bottom line to, to think of this is now Toussaint Louverture rises up and he is a leader of the slave revolution in wow. Haiti. Uh, he's tremendously effective. Um, he actually started out, he was lucky, he uh, had some mentors, uh, and he wasn't uh, treated badly in his early life in Haiti. He was introduced, uh, he actually was able to read. That was part of the, you know, one of the terrible things about the, the slave culture was there was, there was no access to any education. Um, and so he, he was fairly lucky. Yeah, initially he was fairly he was lucky because uh, and there was a book, there were there were several books that he was actually able to read. One of them was uh, Caesar's Commentaries, uh, but there was an author whose last name was Raynal. They called him Abbe Raynal, uh, who was very popular in the uh, mid to. Uh, in the 1770s in that era. But that author, this uh, Raynal, wrote a book and it was a history of the East and West Indies. And it showed the colonial uh, 
mistreatment of slaves. Uh, and he actually, in this book, calls for a slave rebellion. Now, he's a, he's a white, uh, uh, he's a Caucasian uh, in author, France. Wait, yeah, the, the author, author of the book. Author of the book. Okay. Uh, but in, he calls in his book uh, for a slave rebellion, denounces European cruelty to uh, colonial peoples, and actually, it was so controversial, the Catholic Church banned that, that book, the that history. Stupid um, Catholic Church. Yeah. Well, um, so, anyway. So, so the book so, is banned the because book, he has such... But Toussaint Louverture got a copy ah. and read it. Mm -hmm. And so in there, one of the, the most famous lines in Reynal's book is it says, a courageous chief only is wanted and Lowature keeps thinking about that thinking about it and it finally decides I'm gonna try and be that courageous chief um, well, sounds like he succeeded he did tremendously and he was very adept uh, he was sophisticated he was tough um, you don't lead a revolution like that in in and do the fighting that you have to do against the established forces uh, without being tough uh, but he, uh, he is tremendously uh, successful. By early uh, 1792, he's organizing thousands in an army. Uh, he's got some sophisticated ways of offense that are based on uh, the numerical. They didn't have all that great of weapons, but they had numerical superiority. Wow. Um, so this has been going on for like 10 years. Yeah, so... But now, the, re the revolution in France uh, f ultimately fails, and when I say fails, well, Napoleon comes in, and in November of 1799, Napoleon, it was called the coup of 18 Brumaire, uh, overthrows, it was called the French Directory, mm -hmm. uh, and they establish a three-member consulate, and the Napoleon is the first consul, uh, in June of 1800, he defeats uh, an Aus Austrian army, and that really cements his rule as the first uh, consul. Mm -hmm. So now, Napoleon's in charge, and Napoleon does a lot of actually very positive things for France, the Napoleonic Code and some other things, but he does some terrible things too. And one of the things that is not good is he wants to... And I'm simplifying here, but essentially he wants to reintroduce the cash cow. Mm -hmm. He wants Haiti to go back to the way it was and providing the money. All the money. The, okay, so okay. what does he do? So, uh, he decides he's going to put his brother-in-law, a general, Charles Leclerc, in charge and send an army back over to Haiti uh -oh. to reestablish slavery. Uh -oh. um, now, as a, a quick aside, uh, Louverture has established his authority, and in May of 1801, uh, imposes a constitution on Haiti that makes him dictator for life, but in the name of liberty and equality. That sounds kind of bad, but he really, Lowitcher did have the best interests of uh, 
Haiti in mind, but uh, he, he puts this in place in May of 1801. Well, Napoleon by then looks at that and goes, we're not going to accept that and we're going to reestablish the cash cow. So in January of 1802, uh, General Charles Leclerc, who was Napoleon's brother-in-law, mm -hmm. Leclerc was married to Napoleon's sister, Pauline. Um, anyway, so Napoleon, or, yeah, Napoleon gives Leclerc the, the following marching orders. There were three uh, components to it. Uh, when you first get there, promise the Haitians anything and everything, but you then are going to occupy key strategic positions. Then you're going to arrest and deport all potential opponents. And then three, you're going to reintroduce slavery. So he's there to make false promises, get back the advantage, and then take over. Take over, exactly. Well, so and Napoleon has entrusted this effort to his brother-in-law, who he trusts. And he sends, initially with General Leclerc, uh, 20,000 French troops. jeez. Oh, and then shortly after, another 8,000 arrive. Wow. So um, I'm assuming that they took over. Well, they tried. But here's the big problem. Mm -hmm. One, they consistently underestimated the motivation of the forces, the ex-slaves mm -hmm. in, in Haiti. Mm-hmm. A second major thing, and this is a key point, they didn't understand or ignored the climate and the climate leading to disease. Mm. And essentially it was yellow fever. Mm. So the French forces get there. You have to know what time of year it is, how long you have, mm -hmm. because there's a certain time of year where it's going to be the rainy season and you're probably going to get sick. Back then, they didn't have the understanding or the, you know, the way to prevent that. Mm -hmm. So it was yellow fever. Um, Leclerc, um, now it becomes a, a bloody brawl again. Mm -hmm. uh, L'Overture doesn't fall for Leclerc's promises initially and understands what's going on, but they, long story short, they go back into a bloody brawl. But then Leclerc tells L'Overture, hey, uh, if you come in, uh, here's what I promise. And essentially he promised uh, that they wouldn't reestablish re slavery. There's more, more specifics here that if you... You probably should look up, but but essentially he promised Lovature uh, some good things if he would come in. Long story short, Lovature comes in, and guess what Leclerc does? Uh oh. He reneges on the deal, mm -hmm. captures Lovature, and sends him back over to France, and in fact sends him to the Pyrenees, where he's jailed, and that's where he eventually dies. Oh gosh. Okay. That's sad. There are some. By then, though, one of uh, Lowitcher's uh, brilliance was to get good people working for him, and some of his um, subordinates take over the fight. And uh, so in 1802, 
It was May 1st that Loverture came in with the insurances, but by then, uh, June 7th of 1802, Leclerc reneges and captures, and he sends him over to the prison. Uh, but then, not long after that, Leclerc himself dies of yellow fever. <laughs> and his forces are ravaged by yellow fever and also the fighting. Uh, and by May of 1803, uh, Leclerc's subordinate, a guy named Rochambeau, sails back to France with only 8,000 men. So they, they lost 20,000 guys during this. Yeah, and there were even other times where the Brits and the Spanish tried to come in in the 1890s, and they got... They, got, uh, um, they were trying to hold them off during all this. Yeah, everybody was trying to get that cash cow, um, <laughs> but... And I'm simplifying there, but I'm going to quote from, there's a book on Napoleon uh, by, it's called Napoleon, A Life by Andrew Roberts. Um, and so I'm quoting here. It says, the extermination on Haiti continued unabated after Leclerc's death as Louverture's lieutenants and successors continued the struggle against his exceptionally cruel second-in-command, the Vicomte de Rochambeau, who, despite receiving large numbers of reinforcements, managed to sail only 8,000 men back to France in May of 1803. 20 generals, 30,000 French, and possibly as many as 350,000 Haitians of both races had died. Oh, my God. Toussaint Louverture, the Black Spartacus, died of pneumonia on April 7, 1803, in a large cold, cold cell that can be visited today. He was nicknamed and, the Black Spartacus? Well, that's that was later on. It oh, wasn't okay. so much at the time. Interesting. Um, anyway, so with this background, and in fact, let me just go, go ahead and uh, quote more from the, uh, from the Andrew Roberts book. It, Napoleon later admitted that the, the Haiti business was a great piece of folly on my part. It was the greatest error that in all of my government I ever committed. So he regretted doing it or he just is sad it didn't work? Well, both. But he, he said it was a mistake. He goes on to say that he should have negotiated with them. But then and here's a really interesting thing, too, and it it applies to... I think the, well, in my opinion, the, what the Brits could say about the American colonies. But it, by, so again, from the Roberts book, by 1812, Napoleon didn't believe any colonies could be held in perpetuity, predicting that they would all eventually fall, follow the example of the United States. You grow tired of waiting for orders from 5,000 miles away, tired of obeying govern, a government which seems foreign to you because it's remote, and because of necessity, it, it subordinates you to its own local interest, which it cannot sacrifice to yours. The defeat, the defeat in Haiti ended forever Napoleon's dreams of a French empire in the West. And that leads directly into the Louisiana Purchase. So now, Napoleon has lost uh, all of these troops and a whole lot of money trying to reestablish the cash cow in, in uh, Haiti. Mm -hmm. um, he wants to prosecute a war in Europe with the Brits and, and Spanish, which eventually they do, but 
they need money. Okay. And they've lost troops. Yeah. So guess what? He's got this huge chunk of land in the middle the part United of what States. we know today as United States. <laughs> okay. He can't afford to to keep that anymore. Hmm. So uh, at this point, because uh, it's 1803, Jefferson is looking ultimately to expand the United States. What's Jefferson doing right now? Okay, Jefferson becomes president in 1801. He's taken over from John Adams. Mm -hmm. um, Jefferson actually, by the way, was not supportive of the Haitian Revolution because he thought it might uh, translate into the American South. Eh. In other words, there might be a slave uprising in the American South. He didn't like the fact that the slaves in the American South could look and say, hey, there was a successful effort over in Haiti. Um, but anyway, Jefferson is interested in ultimately expanding the United States and he sees that um, New Orleans is kind of the key to, you got to have New Orleans so you can get the Mississippi. You get the Mississippi, now you have a lot better chance. Yeah, chance of expanding the country. Mm -hmm. Okay, so at that point, he makes an offer uh, to buy just New Orleans, oh. ten ten million dollars. And it, France has actually just gotten it back from Spain. Um, but what has just happened? You know, it's 1803. Well, in 1802, 1801-1802, all of this disaster happens down in Haiti. So the French are now motivated uh, to sell. So when they respond <laughs> to the offer of New Orleans for, for uh, $10 million, guess what? They come back and they say, well, you know what? Not only can you have New Orleans and that part of Louisiana, we're going to give you all of this for $15 million. <laughs> And Jefferson is stunned. Wait, um, and all of this was from Louisiana to what? Well, it includes what's essentially west of the Mississippi uh, up through uh, what's now Oklahoma, Nebraska, the, the Dakotas, you know, Wyoming, you know, uh, Montana, uh, color, not all of Colorado, part of Colorado. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, uh, for those listening in, you know, take a look at, uh, what's included in the Louisiana purchase and the cost. And it's just an amazing deal. Um, so Jefferson being though that he's, he is concerned like, well, can I really do this? Uh, is it in the Constitution that I can do this? Uh, should I accept this? And long story short, on that uh, subject, is he finally says, "This is," and I'm. This is Doug McCormick's interpretation or my phrasing. He essentially says, uh, "The Constitution may not say specifically that I can, but it doesn't necessarily say I can't. So I'm gonna. It's such a great deal." we're going to do this. And he works with the Congress later on and essentially wants the Congress to, to stay silent on it, but, uh, they make the deal. Um, so now we have a huge area of land that has added to the country. Uh, one of the greatest deals in 
definitely in U.S. history and probably in world history. How uh, much per acre? Is about it? Uh, four to five cents an acre. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so anyway, they make the deal. So the the overall point of this our discussion here today is that if the French hadn't lost so many men. Uh, in the army and resources and the cash cow uh, in Haiti, um, it, they may have been willing to put more resources into keeping uh, that part of the country that we got as the the, the uh, Louisiana Purchase. Interesting. And uh, and if Jefferson hadn't jumped on this deal, yeah, he jumped on it and. Uh, that's one of his legacies to the country. Uh, now, unfortunately, and we'll finish up on uh, on this note. Unfortunately, there were because now the question is: Okay, you've got this huge territory, and that's part of the United States now. How are you going to absorb it? Mm -hmm. And are you going to allow slavery mm -hmm. into the new chunk? The of new land. chunk of land. Hmm. And there were those that tried to sit Jefferson down and beg him to say, look, we can start over again. You know, we allowed slavery into the country at the, for the, you know, the American Revolution and we'd becoming a country. You have a chance now. We can make this whole new territory. Uh, not, we're not going to have slavery in there. But unfortunately, Jefferson... Uh, didn't buy into it, and uh, all the things that happened after the Louisiana Purchase, in terms of the, you know, the states becoming states uh, in the in the ter in the new territory, all of that has to now starts happening, uh, and the slave interests are making sure the Missouri. Uh, Compromise in 1820, and then the Compromise of 1850. Oh, that scared me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I thought I had my phone uh, um, silenced there. But um, anyway, it sets the stage then for slave states and uh, free states coming in to the Missouri Compromise, the Compromise of 1850, and the Civil War. So it would have been... Uh, it was a lost opportunity uh, that Jefferson didn't support, uh, mm. you know, having the, all, the whole new territory become free. But um, anyway, so. Wow. Uh, well, if, so what happened to Haiti? Uh, it, de it declared its independence. It was either 1803 or 1804 and as an independent country to this day. Well, so at least that's a so, happy-ish ending. Yeah, Louverture's uh, subordinates uh, kept fighting, and like I said, uh, Rochambeau had to go back uh, with only eight thousand, and that uh, after that they declared their independence, and um, it was a it was a bloody, brutal time. Some of the most disturbing things reading in history uh, you can find in the Haitian Revolution, but um, ultimately it was successful, and uh, Louverture is uh, a significant hero in uh, Haiti to this day. Wow. So, 
And oh, if you and if you hire me, I'll take you to uh, Monticello and other places to to show you uh, Jefferson and uh, the Virginia presidents. So well, very good. Well, you said next episode is what? The next episode will be our last on Jefferson before we move to Madison, but it will be on uh, Jefferson's first marriage and, and the, his children from his first marriage and the children from uh, that the con- he had with Sally. The controversial. Yes, with Sally Hemings. Sally Hemings, so gotcha. We, we, and to give you the, the quick heads up on that, uh, you know, what happened to the children and why there's a controversy of this day on uh, that whole subject. Great. Well, good. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, take a look at our comment section to look at our Facebook and Instagram page. Thanks.